trying in leadership. He's trying to make us poets or something or other. I don't know. <laughs> but this, this little poem, it's, it's not much to it, but he says, He never looks for praise, and he's never one to boast. He goes on quietly working for those he loves the most. His dreams are seldom spoken. His words are very few. And most of the time, his worries will go unspoken too. So you just remember to pray for our pastor and the father of this church. And I give grace and God's glory for him today in Jesus' name. Amen. This is for you, Pastor. Thank you, Brother Glad. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. It's an honor to serve uh, this church. I want you to know, if I don't tell you enough, I want you to know how much I love each and every one of you. I love your families. Thank you for your support, and uh, Lord bless you. Amen. Why don't we uh, pray over our offering this evening before I let you be seated. Uh, if you have your tithe and offering I will go to the Lord right now. Upon the authority of your word I have given, and it shall be given to me, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I am a tither. I bring my tithe today to your storehouse. Therefore, the enemy is rebuked, and the curse is broken. I live under an open heaven. Pour out upon me such a blessing, there's not enough room to receive it. We receive jobs and better jobs, raises and bonuses, sales and commission, benefits and settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, bills paid off, debts demolished, royalties received. My whole family will be saved and walking with God. Perfect health and abundance to walk in divine favor and blessing. I'm blessed going in and I'm blessed going out. All that I do will prosper. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated as our ushers receive your tithe and offering. Once again, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers. And uh, I'm so thankful that you are in the house of the Lord with us. If you're a guest with us, please, uh, if you have not uh, yet received a Connect card, we do have an option online that you can uh, text, and it would fill out just a form. Thank you for helping us with that. If you're a senior camper, we need to meet with you and your parents, or a parent at least, in the men's prayer room after service this week. is senior camp, ages 16 through 21, and we are going to have a beast feast after service. So I hope you came prepared to eat, because I believe we're going to have uh, a spread over there. We want you to join us. After service, we have two baptisms, and I'm delighted we're gonna we're going to baptize uh, Alexis Michaud and Brindle Edwards in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And they have brought family and friends, and and with this many people, we're gonna start baptizing them once a month. Amen. Amen. We're going to have a great time tonight. Why don't you worship with our singers as they lead us to the throne once again. When evil is rising, 
Lord, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. Oh, you keep hope alive. You keep hope alive from the beginning to end. Your word never fails. You keep hope alive because you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. Well, death had a stronghold, but your life was stronger. Rose from the grave, rose up from the grave. Oh, when evil is rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. hope alive from the beginning to end your word never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive jesus you are alive you keep you keep hope alive you keep hope alive from the beginning to end your word never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive jesus you are alive there's hope in the morning hope in the evening hope because you're living hope because you're breathing there's hope in the breaking hope in the sorrow hope for this moment my hope for tomorrow there's hope in the morning there's hope in the evening there's hope cause you're living there's hope cause you're breathing there's hope in the breaking there's hope in the sorrow there's hope for this moment my hope for you keep hope alive you keep hope alive from the beginning to end your word never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive Jesus you are alive you keep hope you keep hope alive you keep hope alive from the beginning to end your word never fails you keep hope alive because you are alive jesus you are Until I lay my head, oh, I will sing 
of the goodness of God. Oh, for all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good with every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led, you have led me through the fire. In darkest night, you are close like no other. I know you as a father. I've known you as a father. I've known you as, I've known you as a friend. And I, and I have lived in the goodness of God. Because all my life, all my life, you have been faithful. And all So, so good with every breath, with every breath that I am able. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing all my life, all my life, all my life. You have been faithful, and all my life, all my life, you have been so. I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest night He's closer than a brother You are close like no other You are the father I've known you as a father But Lord you are I've known you as a friend And I have lived In your goodness of God
And all my life, Lord, you've been nothing but good. So with every breath that I am able, I will sing of your goodness, oh Jesus. Sing all my life. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so
anything is possible. Oh, if you believe it, give him high praise right now. All over this building, the fact that you're standing here tonight is a testimony that Jesus can do anything. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, with Jesus, it can happen. With Jesus, it can happen. All things. Somebody shout all things. All things are possible to them that believe. Amen. Amen. As you remain standing, we turn our attention to the book of Luke chapter 5. Beginning with verse 11, once again, thank you to all of our members and guests alike that have made the trip to the house of the Lord. Amen. I would ask you, to remember uh, the Montpelier family, uh, the passing of Sister Emma Montpelier this morning. Uh, as we find out arrangements, we will uh, notify you to the best of our ability. 
But uh, this family needs the strength of the body of Christ. This was a precious warrior of the cross. And uh, this church will greatly miss Sister Emma. Amen. And he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain, he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I want to preach for a little while tonight on the prodigal father. The prodigal father. Would you lift your hands one more time and let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, over the next few moments, I need the spirit of the living God to minister to every heart and soul in this place. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say and hearts to respond and obey. In Jesus' name, can we clap our hands unto the Lord. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated. It's Father's Day today. One boy said Father's Day is just like Mother's Day. Only you don't spend as much on the gift. Some of you men said, what gift? Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant that I could barely stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he learned in seven years. I read one comedian, he said, now that my father is a grandfather, he just can't wait to give money to my kids. But when I was a kid and I asked him for 50 cents, he would tell me the story of his life, how he got up at 5 a.m. when he was seven years old, walked 23 miles to milk 90 cows, and the farmer for whom he worked had no bucket, so he had to squirt the milk into his little hand and then walk eight miles to the nearest can, all for five cents. The result was I never got my 50 cents. But now he tells my children every time he comes in the house, now let's see how much money old granddad has for his wonderful grandkids. And the minute they take the money out of his hands, I call them over to me and I snatch it away from them because that's my money. <laughs> Jewish tradition insists that fatherhood is not necessarily biological. The one who raises a child is considered to be the true parent. Teachers are like fathers. 
So much so that their honor takes precedence, especially in those situations where the father is only a biological relationship and it is the teacher who provides what a father should provide, which is guidance, values, discipline, direction, and love. In the first century, families were presided over by fathers who could do whatever they pleased in their homes. In fact, Rome had a law called Patria Potestas, which meant the father's power. Men who were Roman citizens were given absolute rights over their families. And by law, the children and the wife were regarded as the patriarch's personal property, and he could do whatever he wished with them. In fact, a displeased father could disown his children sell them into slavery, or even kill them if he desired to do so. When a child was born, the baby was placed between the father's feet. If the father picked up the baby, the child stayed in the home. But if he turned and walked away, the child was either left to die or sold at an auction. It was one named Seneca who was a contemporary of the Apostle Paul. He described Roman policy with regard to unwanted animals. He said, we slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into a sick cow. Children born weak or deformed, we drown. And can I tell you that things are not much better today. Millions of unwanted babies are aborted each and every year. No, they may not be drowning them, but the result is still the same. Children have become a disposable commodity in our society just as they were in Rome. But the Bible calls Christian fathers to a different standard. Our kids are not property to own, but image bearers of God who need to be trained. And can I say, dads, that we are called to provide a proper nurturing environment where our kids can grow up to love and serve the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The New Testament challenges, to, challenges us to see the word father as a verb and not a noun. It's biologically easy to become a father, but biblically challenging to actually father our children. The Bible very clearly challenges dads to be the spiritual leader in their homes because the ultimate responsibility for that family and what it will become rests squarely on the shoulders of the father. And the primary part of that responsibility is a balance between love and discipline. One, one uh, interpretation or translation of Hebrews 12 and 7 says, Let God train you, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. Who ever heard of a son who was never corrected? 1 Thessalonians 2 and 11 says, As we know how he exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. 
It was Paul the Apostle in Colossians 2 or 3.21 that says, Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. There is a, a difference between crushing or breaking, breaking their will and crushing their spirit. And fathers, we can become so intent on proving a point that we will crush their spirit instead of just breaking their will. In fact, if you study out the old, the old days where they would tread grapes, they had what they call the treaders of grapes. They would put these grapes in a big vat and there would be a, a, a pole that they would lean on and they would just walk through those grapes, just, just breaking those grapes. But there was a balance that had to be dealt with. The whole intent was to break the skin of the grapes, to release the juices. But if they put too much pressure, it would crush the seed and it would become bitter. And fathers, there's a balance that we're called to maintain when it comes to training children. You can become so aggressive, though your motives are right, in trying to prove a point that not only will you break their will, but you'll crush their spirit and they will become bitter. So we have to maintain a balance between love and discipline. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul compares his role as an apostle to the role filled by a dad because no one can take the unique place of a dad. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. First Corinthians uh, 4, rather, he says there are a lot of people around who can't tell, who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. One of the biggest threats to the generation we are now raising is the breakdown of the family. Lifelong marriages provide the foundation for social order and everything of value rests on those underpinnings. And historically, when the family begins to unravel in any culture, everything is adversely affected. Why hell has targeted families. That's why if you look through, through, through media, through advertisement, through everything going on in the world over the past 30 years, it has targeted unraveling families. Because he knows if he can get the family, he'll get everything else. 30 years ago, people believed that poverty and racial discrimination were primarily responsible for juvenile crime and behavioral problems. Now nearly all of the evidence points to one thing, that's family breakup as the real culprit and predicts a societal catastrophe if the trend does not 
Turn around. 72% of North Americans say that the physical absence of fathers is the most serious problem facing our families. So men, can I tell you, it falls upon us to buck this trend. Christian fathers do not lie, steal, or covet. Christian fathers don't serve the God of money. Christian fathers do not sire and then abandon their children. Christian fathers don't send their kids to church. They take them to church. Christian fathers have a real relationship with God. And the greatest need of the hour is homes where men can exalt Jesus Christ. Clap your hands unto the Lord. If men are the head of the home, then there's got to be an example for us to follow. And that example is the Lord, the Father. And in this story, we always put so much emphasis on the prodigal son. The word prodigal literally means to spend lavishly. And here was a son, two, two children in this father's house. And this son grew tired. Perhaps he grew tired of the restraints of the home. Young people, let me tell you, the reason your father and your mother have guardrails, and I talked on it in, in Sunday school. It's not because they don't love you. It's because they love you. We're living in a world that every day is getting more and more evil. And I realize that some, sometimes it feels like we're isolated in, 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 in Catahoula Parish. But can I tell you, there's plenty of evil in Catahoula Parish. It may not be as in your face as, as it would be in a metropolitan area. But the spirit world is just as dark here. And there's got to be families. There's got to be parents. There's got to be daddies uh, that will rise up and say, as for me and my house, uh, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what they're doing down the road. I don't care what your friends are doing. This is what the Bible says. He took his inheritance. He lived it up in the world. He did everything that the world had to offer. Whoever says that sin's not fun didn't do the right sinning. Because if it was not attractive to the flesh, you wouldn't want to do it. There is an element of sin that will please your flesh. But it's the consequences of sin that will send you to hell. It's the consequences of sin that will destroy your life. And so he goes out there and he does everything. And he runs farther away and farther away. And the farther away he runs, the worse the destruction gets. As exciting as the world appears, the Father's house is the only place where real life and love are experienced. The world is the illusion. The Father's house is reality. Amen? If you remember the story, when Jesus went with Mary and his father, and they were leaving, the Bible says they went one day's journey and realized that Jesus wasn't with them. 
but it took them three days to find them. Because it always takes you longer to get back to God than it does to get away from God. You may think, well, it's not that bad. I can go out and dabble a little. I can dabble this and I can do this. But friend, what you don't realize is it's going to take you a lot longer to make your way back to the Father's house than it did to leave the Father's house. The best thing you can do is stay in the Father's house. Hey, I was one of those kids raised in church all my life. And people would come to God back when we had testimony service. And I mean, they'd get up and they had the coolest testimonies. They'd talk about getting in fights. They'd talk about getting stabbed. They'd talk about, you name it, all this stuff that God brought them. And I'm sitting here going, wow, that's a cool testimony. I want a testimony like that. In fact, I remember preaching at one church. And they told us, the pastor told us, his, the Sunday school teacher came and had to talk to him. And uh, what, what, what was happening was they were picking up a bunch of bus kids. And these bus kids were having all these legitimate prayer requests that were far, way out there. Because you don't know what they live in. Well, the pastor's kids kind of felt like they didn't have much to ask prayer for. So they started making up stuff about mom and daddy. So finally, the Sunday school teacher was so concerned, she went to the pastor and checked on him. And all of it was not true. She just wanted to fit in with all the other prayer requests. But I used to think I had to have some kind of cool testimony. But I figured out the older I got, I got the best testimony that God kept me from all of those things that the world could have used to destroy me. Young people don't think you got to go out there and experience everything it has to offer. You can stay in the Father's house. You can stay in the Father's house. Oh, let's give him praise right now. Notice. That the father does nothing to stop him. He doesn't sit there and beg him. Plead with him to stay. Let's him go. Doesn't try to keep him from leaving. Knowing that he's fixing to go start making a mess of his life. When he asks for everything, he just hands it to him. Isn't it disturbing at times that God refuses to step in and stop people from what he knows they're fixing to do? He has a non-interference policy. You may say, well, why doesn't God do something about the evil in the world? Why doesn't he stop people from hurting other people and doing evil things? I'll tell you why. Because God has given us the the gift of free will. And if he interfered, it would no longer be a free will. We think we would like God to be more controlling when it comes to other people. We would like to have him force them to do the right things and stop them from doing the wrong things. But when we want to rebel, we don't want anybody to control us. God knows that the moment he forces us to do his will, it is no longer obedience and therefore it means nothing. 
In fact, if you study out the culture of Jesus' day, children did not even leave home when they became adults and married. The father simply added on to the house, especially if his estate was wealthy. To leave home was to leave everything, your family, your relationships, your work, and your future. But the father did not want his son to stay home if the son did not want to stay. He didn't want him to be there out of some kind of obligation. And notice that the father did not go to the distant country in search of his son because he would not rescue him against his will. When it comes to living for God, it's all a matter of the will. God's not going to beg anybody to love him. He's not going to beg anybody to serve him. Yes, the Bible says where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. That's why when somebody starts drinking, it's not long before they start talking about God because that's God's way of reminding him that you or you may be so low in your sin, but there's more grace right now in the midst of your problem. Hey, friend, you need to understand the moment you decide, I'm turning back to the Father's house. I'm getting back to where I know I belong. It won't be long till there's change that happens. Here he was. He had to get worse before he got better. And we don't like that. There's loved ones related to everybody in here that once walked in truth. And you know them. And it seems like they're getting further and further and further. He didn't, he didn't find what his heart was wanting near the father's house. The Bible says he went to a far country. And sometimes when people leave the church, that pendulum swings so far the other way that they run to a far country. They want to do things that they've, everybody else got to do and they feel like they've missed out on. And they'll start doing all kinds of stuff that they know is wrong. But they're going to reach a point where they're not going to have anybody out there for them. The Bible said he got so hungry that he would have ate pig's food, but nobody would even give him any. All those people that he thought was going to be there with him, when, they need, when he needed help the most, there was nobody there. That's the way the world does. When you think those friends will be there for you and you need them the most, they're not going to be there for you. But friend, the Bible says there's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother and that he's a very present help in the time of trouble. Hey friend, at your lowest point, you can call upon the name of Jesus. There's a God that's there with you. Hallelujah. It's hard when you're in the middle of it to see what's going on because the world looks so appealing. But everybody else, you ever, you ever seen somebody that you, you try to talk to and you say, hey, you really need help, you really need help. You see they need help, but they don't see they need help. But you let them keep living, they'll come to a point where they realize, I need help. I need help. The Bible says he came to himself. He 
realize, hey, I may not be able to go back and be a son, but I'll be a servant. Because even servants at my father's house have something to eat. He started making his way back. He had spent everything he had lavishly. And there was a father. That father, you can't just tell me happened to walk outside one day and just saw him. No. I believe every day that father was waiting. This could be the day that he comes back home. This could be the day. This could be the hour. And the Bible says that when he saw him afar off, Hold it. I got a feeling that father saw him at the same spot when he left. The difference was direction. And you look in the Old Testament, they had what they called cities of refuge. And if you were in danger and you were in trouble, you could run to the city of refuge. It was a walled city. And they were obligated to defend you from anything that was coming after you. And you could come in that city and you could live there all you wanted. You could die in that city. They would protect you. But the moment you decided, I've had enough of this, I'm leaving. And you walked outside of that city. It didn't matter if your attacker was waiting right there. They did not have to defend you. The difference was direction. And when when that boy was walking away from his father, his father wasn't chasing him because he knew he was headed the wrong direction. He had made a choice and he had set his tent, pitched his tent towards the wrong direction. But when that father saw that boy coming back to him, he said now his heart is different. Now he's realized the error of his ways. And the Bible says that father took off running towards him. And he didn't just get there and say, how you doing son, good to see you. But the Bible says that that father fell on him and embraced him. And loved him. That son was a prodigal with his money. But that father was a prodigal with his love. Because he gave it away lavishly. He didn't just pat him on the back. He said let me show you how much I miss you. Let me show you how much I've loved you. Can I preach to somebody today. That you may have messed up. You may have made some mistakes. You may have done some things that you're not proud of. But you're looking at an altar today. And when you set your eyes towards that altar. There's a father that comes and he's lavish with love. He doesn't just say, hey, good to see you. Welcome to church. But he wraps you up in the spirit in his arms and he loves you. And you say, well, I've messed up so many times. I've been in church, out of church, back and forth. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It may matter in your mind, but it doesn't matter to the Father. He's going to love you the same. How how many times, fathers, has your children messed up? 
See, we got this, we got to kill this performance mentality where we think the Father loves us more if we do good and loves us less if we don't. That's not biblical. Because if you look in the Word of God, Jesus, who had not done a thing, was baptized and came up out of the water. And what happened? The Bible said that the Spirit descended like a dove and the voice of the Lord spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom... I am well pleased. Jesus hadn't healed one person. He hadn't opened a blinded eye. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hadn't done a single thing to earn any type of love. Yet God said, I love him. Friend, you got to put that mindset on an altar that says, if I do good, God will love me. But if I mess up, he don't love me. No, the Father loves you regardless of how you act. He may not like your sin, but but he loves your soul. We got people that the enemy is holding captive in their mind because they beat themselves up if they're not doing right. That's what conviction's for. Conviction will show you what you're doing wrong because God's wanting you to get it right. But condemnation will show you what you're doing wrong to keep you from getting right. Condemnation will show you all these things that conviction will show you the same thing. But condemnation wants to drive you away. Condemnation will tell you, you know what, you might as well stay in the pig pen. That father will never love you. You've already just been disowned. You don't need to go back to your father's house because you've messed up too many times. But conviction will say, hey, yeah, you might be in a pig pen, but you still got a bed at the father's house. You still got a place of redemption. You got still, still got a place you can run to. Friend, don't you run from the Father. You run to the Father. Stand with me right now. I'm preaching about a Father who loves you regardless of how many times you've messed up. Regardless of how many times you've made mistakes and you've failed. It does not change the love of the Father. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Don't listen to those out there in the world that are trying to convince you. Listen to me, young people. I don't care how cool they think you. They're trying to make it. I'm telling you the result is the same. You'll end up in the pig pen and you won't have any friends. All these people who entice you to do things, they don't love you. They don't care for you. There's a father. There's a father. A just man falleth seven times. There's nothing wrong with making mistakes. There's nothing wrong with falling. But somewhere along the way, you've got to realize I can get back to where I once was. I can get back to a father's house. And he's going to love me. He's gonna, he loved you enough to die for you. Greater love hath no man than this. There was a father that said, I'll robe myself in flesh. I'll come and give you my life. 
Heads bowed and eyes closed. We're fixing to move to this altar in just a moment. I believe under the sound of my voice there are people that you know that you've got to get back to the Father's house. You know that you're not where you need to be. You know that there's a place in God that you can get. And the enemy is messed with your mind. And you feel like there's no way that you could ever be what God's called you to be. Because you've messed up. You've done too many things. But you hear this preacher. Don't listen to the voice of the devil. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy trying to hold you in check. There's a God of this place that wants you to know he loves you regardless. You can repent of your sins tonight. You can be filled with the power of his spirit through the Holy Ghost. You can walk out of here changed because there's a father that loves you. I would to God right now that you grab the hand if it's appropriate of somebody next to you. I want us to come to this altar. Take that hand. Walk down to this altar together all over this building. And why don't we come and let the father love us. Why don't, we, why don't we come back to the Father's house? It doesn't matter where you stand. I'm just wanting everybody. Why don't we make our way to this altar? Lift your hands to heaven and begin to pray. Oh, Holy Ghost, thank you, Jesus, for loving me in spite of my faults, in spite of my failures. Come on. Reach out to God right now. As they begin to sing, there's a God in this place that loves you. There's a God in this place that forgives you. There's a God in this house that says it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. I just want you to know I love you. Oh, come on. Let's pray right now all over this building. Reach out to God. That's it, reach out to heaven. Reach out to heaven. Reach out to heaven. There's a God that loves you. There's a God that loves you. And oh, how he loves us. That's it, reach out. Oh, 